Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben and this is the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast. Hey family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. Tonight we've got episode 104 of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast and tonight we're heading south of the border down to Sydney and then out west towards the Blue Mountains. We're dropping in with Scott Evans from Eastland uh, from East Blacksland Butchery. Apologies, East Blacksland Butchery. If you've heard this name before, it's because they were the 2019 Butcher of the Year winner at the annual Australasian Barbecue Alliance Awards. So it's a fantastic honour. It's very prestigious and a highly contended award um, as butchers are so important to the barbecue scene. The team at East Blacksland Butchery has really gone above and beyond to have an extraordinary range of meats available for the carnivore community and Scott has a ripper of an episode lined up for us tonight. So in this episode we're going to get into the story behind the shop, how it all came together, how it's evolved. We're going to talk about the range of products they got there as there's a lot of things you can get there that you just can't get anywhere else. So we're going to find out about what that is, where they come from and why it's proven so popular. And then of course we're going to get into a bit of the COVID-19 and how the business has evolved and what strategies they've got in place and all the interesting, clever little um, evolutions, little uh, changes that they found to to adapt and, and carry on uh, despite the challenges. We're also going to find out how uh, the butchery got involved with the competition barbecue scene. We're going to find out the number of teams that they sponsor and I'm just going to give you a, like a little heads up. It's more than what you think. It's really cool. And then we're going to we're gonna hear the story about how they went to the Royal in 2019 uh, to compete with one of those sponsored teams. That is on my bucket list. To be able to get to the Royal and go have that experience, man, that that is just next level. And then we're going to close out the episode at uh, r- right at the end there. It's going to be really fantastic. Scott is actually going to give us some advice for approaching, building a relationship with, and negotiating sponsorship with a butcher. And with that advice coming from a butcher himself, you know that it's going to be some gold class advice. So without further ado, let's get stuck into it. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? Scott Evans, butcher extraordinaire from East Blacksland Butchery. Mate, welcome to the confessional. G'day, Ben. Thanks for having me, mate. Mate, any time. It's an absolute pleasure to, uh, to to have you on the show. So how you been? Mate, look, we are, we've been flat out. Um, we we kind of got a surprise hit uh, with the panic buying that was set in with the, the whole result of this COVID-19. Um, and we kind of, the shop hasn't really slowed down since. It's um, not so much panic buying now, but I just think a lot of people have maybe got a bit more faith in their local butchers because the supermarkets run out of stuff and and we just kept our shelves as full as we could. That's really interesting. So um, yeah. we're actually going to get to COVID-19 just a little bit later and and, yes. and, and and talk about the evolution that that sort of brought on. But I wanted to start with getting the story behind the shop. How did the shop come together? Um, mate, I've, uh, I'm 29 at the moment. I turned 30 in September and I've been butchering now for 15 years. I, um, 
I was politely asked at the end of year 10 to leave school. Um, <laughs> so I um, I, uh, I dove headfirst into the very first apprenticeship, which was um, which was in butchery in the middle of the mounds at Hazelbrook. Um, and, and yeah, I've worked in, in three shops. I've only worked in three shops. The third shop is being the one that I bought. I, um, I'd worked there for two and a half years before I bought it. And then we took over in end of December, um, 2015. Nice so one. coming up on five years now, um, we're currently negotiating our five year option with our lease. So we're trying to make sure we'll be here a bit longer with everybody else. Um, yeah. And, and that's it, mate. I, uh, I like a lot of butchers, you know, five to 10 years ago, had no idea about American barbecue in Australia. Brisket was, brisket was sausage trim. It was good flavorsome fatty sausage trim. And, um, about a month after I bought my shop, I stumbled across the Australasian barbecue Alliance page, um, in January in 2016. And I went, wow, what, what are we missing out on our industries? This is crazy. This is cool. And my shop slowly evolved. I, um, I started a small uh, smokers group on Facebook. We've got our shop page and I started a group adjacent to that. And I remember when there was less than 10 people in the group and we were going to have a local get together. And then it just kept getting delayed because the group was growing. And, and now there's, I think there's 1700 people in it from, you know, mainly local because I try to keep it as local because the main purpose of it is for me to directly advertise our barbecue cups and rubs and sauces. And when we get certain branded stock in, um, but yeah, it's this amazing little community that's just kind of evolved with the shop as the shop's grown over the, the last four years, you know, um, adding, going from just selling like a basic style barbecue sauce to now having oh, a huge range of, um, of rubs and sauces, um, charcoal, different fruit wood, um, lighters, um, thermometers, you name it, we, we try and have it. It sounds like the, uh, like low and slow has kind of really become the, the focus of the shop. Oh, mate, it has, it has. That's, um, like I always loved my trade and then I fell in love with it again when I kind of found barbecue. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's funny that I, I was always a big fan of, uh, of, you know, cooking meat over fire and then I discovered low and slow. And as you said, it was just, uh, you know, it was wedding bells all over again. Yes, that's right. Um, so what was the name of that group that, that you, uh, organized down there? Um, so the, the group on Facebook is called East Blacksland Smokers. Um, as I said, we use that as a way just to uh, keep people up to date when we get in certain stock. Um, you know, we pre-announce things to the group. I'll let them know ahead of time. We, uh, we make about, about six times a year. We're due to make another batch. Actually, we make a, a, a private run of jalapeno and four cheese snags, um, and we advertise it to the group and normally we pre-sell and have to make 350, 400 kilos just for each, each run. So we, we spend hours making them. I normally go to Costco and spend about a thousand dollars on, on different cheeses and jalapenos. And it's, yeah, it's a labor of love, but you know, that's something that the group's kind of, kind of, have grown and fed from. And, um, in turn, um, a couple of years ago, I hit up Cy, um, like Simon Luxton up by Cy and he did, he worked his magic and, and kind of created this cool design of me and the sausages and a mincer. And, and we've, we've actually, we've sold all, 
close to 400 units of shirts and hoodies and singlets in the last few years with that design with our smokers logo on the front. It's um, all through this group. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Mate, that is absolutely fantastic. And I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you are running a brand oriented group because uh, with the way that uh, social media is heading with the, the algorithms and how they're working, that sort of stuff, man, if, yes. if, if people have a barbecue business and they don't have a brand centric group, they are just going to be losing out big time. Yes, definitely. So you said that you uh, moved into butchery straight out of year 10. Was it something that you were always interested in or was it just you, uh, you know, the, the idle hands of the devil's play thing and you, you needed somewhere to go? Mate, I, um, I wanted to be an architect and, and the, um, there wasn't enough kids in year nine to carry it on, like to do tech drawing and, and progress with that. And I was a bit of a narrow minded kid. So I was like, Oh, I've lost my chance stuff the system so I started rebelling um and I tried to I initially wanted to be a chippy I just wanted to be a carpenter and um couldn't find anything and I was actually with my father we were visiting one of his friends in hospital and I was waiting for a train I was getting dropped to the train station afterwards and my dad's friend who'd broken a hip said to me what are you going to do now that you finished school I said oh I just want an apprenticeship and there was a woman in the hospital ward making the beds. And she said, well, my husband owns the butchery at Hazelbrook. This was, this was probably early December. And she said, he, he's after someone to start in the new year. And that was it. I just spent six years at Hazelbrook. Wow. So <laughs> yeah. cool. And, and so, it was something I'd never considered. It was something I'd never put thought to. Like I'd, I'd grown up doing like agricultural stuff at high school and spending a lot of time on farms and properties and, but never had I considered doing anything like with the butchery aspect. Um, and I just, yeah, I feel like I, yeah, I was born for it. So what was it about the butchery industry that sort of, that, that really hooked you in? Oh, it was, uh, it's working with older blokes that were always cheeky and troublesome and, you know, always a fair bit of banter going on in the shop and uh, you'd muck around and run a muck and uh, sometimes you get into punch ups with each other. It was almost like you were at work in a pub. I was, about to, <laughs> I was about to say it almost sounds like a barbecue competition. Yeah, oh, mate, yes, except just with probably maybe looser people more prepared to use the knives. <laughs> That's the scary part. I've been, I've been, I've been stabbed twice in shops. Um, yeah, yeah, things happen. <laughs> like, like seriously stabbed, or just uh, people playing uh, around and things got a bit accidental, or one, one was a one was a muck around that that needed stitches, and then the other one was a. Yeah, uh, a disgruntled person I worked with. Um, yeah. Wow. But that's sort of, yeah, the, our industry is not normally known for attracting the best people. It's, um, that's why I'm a firm advocate of if you, if you find, if you find a butcher and they're decent, yeah, build a relationship because the ones of us that are good, we are, we do, we do do our best. Yeah, mate. I uh, I I worked for two and a half years as a bouncer, and I and I didn't get stabbed once. So you you're definitely <laughs> winning there. Yeah, I'll take it, mate. It's not often I get praised. So. Yeah. <laughs> so we um we started to briefly mention it before the range of products that you got at the shop there. Now I I had a look at the uh, at the cover art on your Facebook profile for the business and yes. you've yep. listed grass-fed beef and lamb, Bangalore sweet pork, American style barbecue cuts, local imported cheeses, gourmet sausages, large deli meat range. So let's, let's kick things off at the top with the grass-fed beef and lamb. What, yep. what is this big craze about grass-fed? Why is grass-fed uh, so good? 
Um, look, there's there's um, a lot of people the, with the train of thought and the opinion. Uh, I'm not going to lay my opinion down either side, which I think is better, but um, that grass-fed, there's less impurities in the meat. Um, obviously, depending on what the animal's being fed, if it's been fed in a feedlot and it's been fed a lot of grain, people are worried about what's been sprayed on the grain previously. Um, I will always pick grain-fed beef myself. I prefer the flavour. Um more marbling and more intramuscular fat is good in my opinion in that sense, but I'm not going to, I personally don't really have an opinion of which one's better for you health wise. Yeah. It's an interesting point. It's almost like a, um, it becomes a bit of a cerebral sort of, uh, you know, conscience decision more than anything else from what I've heard. Yes. Yes. I think so. Interesting though, that the, uh, that the intramuscular fat, which is what we're all into in barbecue is what comes from grain fed and not grass fed. That's right. Look, and don't get me wrong, you can achieve, there's actually plenty of companies, there, like there are plenty of Wagyu companies that, that are grass-fed. I believe Robins Island are grass-fed. Um, don't quote me on that. I, I don't purchase their products. I've never tried them. Um, but yeah, there's it is achievable with genetics um, and probably good grasses and stuff, but like normally you, you see an animal put on most of that intramuscular fat when it sits in a feedlot for 150 days or more. Yeah, I think that the cattle that comes off of Tasmania, like like Robins Island or, or Cape Grim, my understanding is that even though they're grass-fed, they do have quite a lot of intramuscular fat just because it is so wet and there's so much grass down there. But uh, Yeah, okay, just that continual feed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cows that we there's used a, to process a, where I grew up in Scone in the Hunter Valley, though, where it was like sort of dusty dirt brown grass for nine months of the year they were pretty yes. lean yeah that's right mate they would be <laughs> <laughs> there's a um there's a wagyu producer at nimbin actually that does grass-fed wagyu um, now i'm actually waiting to get him on the show because when you say oh, grass-fed really? yes when you say grass-fed <laughs> we're not talking about grass-fed we're talking about grass-fed i believe it's actually grass-fed not grass grass-fed but i'm not sure I'd, I'd be very interested to hear that interview, mate, if you do do it. <laughs> no, they, they, they actually are, are advertising as, as hemp-fed Wagyu. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that's awesome. That's a, that's a cool spin on it. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting stuff. And <laughs> when, I, when I rang to try and get some, he was sold out for months. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Just the demand for him. That's, there you go. Yeah. So that's going to be really interesting. Um, yes. And speaking of uh, Nimbin there, just next door is Bangalore, and you've got Bangalore sweet yes. pork. Yes, they, mate. They I, have quite a reputation. I, I, I'm actually going to, I'm going to run the numbers on it from the, the time I've been supplying teams with Bangalore sweet pork. I, I'd, I'd be happily proven wrong, but I'm pretty sure that outside of companies such as Sun Pork and Borrowdale and some of these bigger producers, maybe Gurley, um, for a smaller producer, I honestly think Bangalore would probably have the most trophies and walks. And not just from my shop, there's a, there's plenty of teams that use Bangalore Sweet Pork. I know the Brizzy Baster boys use um, Bangalore Sweet Pork. Um, but I, yeah, I, I'm a firm believer in their product. They're the fundamentals of their business plan is amazing. The way they they run their farms, um, the the breed, it's a composite breed of three separate pigs. Um, there's Duroc, Long White and Berkshire. And they feed it a certain grain mix, which I couldn't even tell you what it is. They, I don't think they'd probably tell anybody, but it promotes a thicker fat growth like that fat cap and it just adds 
the flavour is amazing. It, I've never seen it crackle bad. Um, yeah, we we sell we sell um, our our loins as bacon and legs. We we get them smoked um, so we can have bangalow bacon and ham in the shop. Oh, so, so good. Bangalow bacon. Yeah. Oh, mate, it's uh, once you once you have bangalow, you never go back. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> mate, I don't doubt that at all. From my time as a competitor, I know that 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 always had the had had a great reputation. Bangalow sweet pork. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so the American style barbecue cuts, you obviously became aware of them, uh, as you said, when you came across that Australasian Barbecue Alliance group. Yes. Yep. How, like. As a butcher, do you start to break down the carcasses differently, or do they do they come in already broken down, and then you further break them down differently? How does that How does that work? So the I suppose where I think a lot of the a lot of the the place where a lot of butchers will probably struggle to come across, and what a lot of people I think when they first start out asking for brisket, and I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of this before I found the ABA. Um, the size of the bodies that we buy in as fresh beef. Um, to have like a nice small yearling grass-fed eye fillet or scotch fillet, we're buying animals that would probably be about 180 kilos dressed. Um, the brisket off one of those things is about as thick as like a half, a half or not even a quarter ream of A4 paper. They're, there's nothing on them because they're so small. So we we quickly found that we had to start buying a lot of carton meat, but that also gave us... I think um, not an advantage, but it gave us the ability to give our customers a more consistent product um, because I can I can approach companies like Rangers Valley, who are I'm a fanboy of theirs. I they're my beef company. If I had to pick one beef company to buy my beef out of for the rest of my life, it would be Rangers Valley. Um, and I can buy products that I know that have gone through such um, a stipulated process that they run, um, but it provides quality. And I can get an eight kilo brisket instead of a, a one point eight kilo brisket that is going to dry out instantly. <laughs> I think that might have been one of the first ever briskets I had was one of those little ones. Yeah, yep. But the first brisket I ever did was one of those little ones too, and it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I actually um, um I, I didn't know anything about about trimming a brisket, and my butcher obviously didn't know anything about brisket himself because he handed yes. me this uh, this rolled up one. And said, so "They uh, oh, go 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 cook that in a pot." Had he pinned and he'd sewed it? Um, it was like a, a rolled roast. That's yeah, that's was, awesome. That's what that's what we learned to do with brisket. If we don't need it for sausage trim, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I actually just just took it home and I unpinned and I unrolled everything and just yes. threw and just threw it as is on the smoker. I didn't understand about trimming fat and all that sort of stuff. Oh, and uh, so we my my wife and I we were cutting slices off it. And of course, you know, the, the fat was hot and moist and soft and it was just so yes. tasty. And we were just shoveling slices of this thing into our faces. And then of course, in the middle of the night, having eaten that much fat, it turned on us. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we, we took turns, uh, <laughs> we, we took turns with stomach cramps in the bathroom and, yeah. and, and both had to take the next day off work. Cause we just couldn't, uh, couldn't, couldn't get out of the bathroom. <laughs> It's something that a lot of people actually, that's something that's quite common. A lot of people say to me when they've started smoking, they're like our, your, our bodies, like our standard diet, you're not really used to that much rich meat. Um, yeah. And it takes a little bit for it to, all that fat to process. It does. Yeah. So if you get about a 1.8 kilo brisket off of a one-year-old cow, what sort of age are the cows that we're looking at for the, you know, seven, eight, nine kilo briskets? 
Oh, I would, I would assume in the three to five year range. Um, I know that um, Rangers Valley Black Onyx program is 280 days grain fed, and I'm pretty sure they normally take those cattle onto the feed lots at 18 months. So that would put it at about three, three and a half years, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. And they're, and I mean, like they are, it's funny, the, the briskets come in a, in a different shaped box than the rest of their meat. It's a bit narrower at the box and the points on them are always kind of flattened out. It's like they jam these two eight kilo briskets into a box. It's always 16 kilos without fail. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's, um, that, that's kind of interesting about the, about the Rangers Valley and just, it's, it, it's remarkable to me how they can take so many different animals and still come out with, you know, as you said, bang on, two eight kilo briskets in a box yes. every time. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like they're I don't know. I, I really am I, I'm wrapped with them as a company. Like their their feeding system, the way they run it, like with their F one, their first cross program, um, which is a full blood bull like bred over a, a an Angus um cow they sit for 350 days in the feedlot because they put like their growth rate is slightly um, slower. The Angus put on weight quicker than the Wagyu do. And then their full blood Wagyu program, again, they sit in the feedlots for 500 days. Every animal eats 18 kilos of grain a day, but they just put on weight at a slower rate as they go towards the full blood Wagyu from the Angus. That's fascinating. So So they've obviously uh, like, like studied that and they have it down to a formula. Yes, mate. I, I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they said the full blood Wagyu cattle after 500 days of grain feeding at 18 kilos of grain a day, they've eaten almost $6,000 worth of grain each, each animal. Wow. Not including not including what they like what they owe them from buying and um, procuring from their their background farmers. Um, yeah. <laughs> And that's why, like, when they we were we were the first people in Sydney to get the um their full blood briskets, the Infinite in a Marble Score Nine. I remember getting those through one of my wholesalers, and we were we were wrapped with it. But they were a, they were a brisket that was retailed at thirty three dollars a kilo, as opposed to like a Black Onyx brisket in the ranges, which we retail at eighteen dollars. Oh, okay. So yeah, so that's and that's the difference. And then if you look at a a Marvel score nine in the WX, which is their first cross program. We'd retail those at 20, I think 24 a kilo they are at the moment. Okay. So that's, that kind of gives you that, that step in, in price, which is reflective of the amount of effort that went into each animal. Yeah, absolutely. And if, and if I learned anything from watching that Tiger King show, I know that tigers cost $10,000 a year to feed. So that's they're, right. uh, they're, they're, they're obviously a far more profitable animal than, than tigers. Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Much less risk as well. Yeah. Now, you you mentioned those sausages before. I'm pretty sure I saw a post floating around somewhere, might be a little while ago now, that you won, yep. you won awards for sausages. Is that right? Um, just recently we did, yeah. We, um, we were blown away. We, it was a People's Choice Award um, online through the um, Sydney Telegraph, um, the Daily Telegraph, sorry. Um, and... There was, I think there was 3,704 butchers nominated and we got we got voted first place in Western Sydney and second place overall out of 3,704 butcheries. We wow. were, um, yeah, we were blown away. Um, we've had the local paper come and, and do a bit of a write-up on it and just the amount of new people that, I, I don't know, I don't get why it's so hard to, to make a good sausage. It's just don't put junk in it and it's it's pretty simple. 
So yeah, <laughs> yeah it's uh, it baffles me, but yeah, apparently a lot of people struggle. Well, I tell you what, I I made the switch a while ago, oh, seven eight years ago to uh, to butcher shop sausages, and yes, there, th- there is no going back to supermarket sausages. Oh no, you can't. No, <laughs> even just on texture, texture alone, I think like that pastiness of a supermarket sausage, and yeah, it's not good. It's yeah, not you good. can you can <laughs> almost taste the flour in it. Oh, that's right, emulsifiers <laughs> and, and binders in it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Now, speaking of awards, tell me what it was like to win Butcher of the Year for the ABA. Mate, it was, we, me and, all, me and my whole my whole staff went, um, except for one of my butchers, he was he was busy, and we went down to um, Black Bear and at Vineyard, and we, I was sitting there, I was sitting next to Glenn Dumbrell from Cha Cha Cha, actually, me and Glenn are, um, we're very, very good mates, I've got a lot of time for Glenn, and we were just sitting there next to each other, and we just said, good luck, you know, see how it goes, because Glenn was a nominee as well, and um, yeah, mate, I, I didn't think we were going to get it, we um, we were nominated, we didn't even get nominated last year, we were we were nominated the year before, um, but we didn't we didn't win it. Um, and so I was I just I just took the boys out for a, a good feed and a couple of beers, and and then we won. I was yeah I was wrapped. That's awesome. And so what what sort of opportunities has that led to for you? Um, I suppose it's going to sound bad bragging rights. <laughs> um, let's let's uh, let's call it brand recognition. <laughs> Yeah, okay. That that sounds much better. That sounds much better. Um, mate, look, not too many opportunities. Things have um I suppose everything slowed up on the barbecue front. Um with the with the whole virus scenario at the moment. Um yeah, not not too much at all has really come of it. Like we've already uh, I suppose we've already got a bit of a following. So it's it's increased that slightly, but yeah, most of most of the group's already there. Fair enough. Yeah, it it would have really cemented you as one of the one of the key players in the in the barbecue scene at least. Yeah, look, I think so. I think um, there's and this is this is the amazing thing, and this is the this is the great thing about butchery now. Thirty years ago, butchers would never talk to each other, and they're all against each other. And now, like some of like. I'm friends with I'm friends with the local butchers that are like in direct competition with me. We um if one of us has got a you know if there's a van breakdown or someone needs transport, you pick each other's meat up and you help each other out. And um like it's funny like butcher wars every year for the last three years in Sydney. Me and Craig Munro have gotten up on stage and we've had the battle of the West each time. And me and Craig are great mates. We um he rang me yesterday. We we're on the phone for 25 minutes. Um. Yeah, it's it's funny, you know, like it's it's amazing to see how our trade has changed, but we can all kind of rally around the barbecue community and and use it to I suppose to grow our businesses and grow us. Why do you think that that change has occurred? Is it because of the um the the supermarkets and is it like is it that is it that kind of a, you know, enemy of my enemy is my friend type thing? Um Look, it could be. I think you know. There's been a lot of in the in the last ten years. There's been a lot of butcher shops shut down. There's, you know, a lot of lot of small towns used to have two or three shops, and now there's there's some towns that you might go two or three towns without seeing a shop. Um, and I think maybe also too, there was a lot of all, a lot of uh, old school ideas and egos that are probably just not in shops anymore, which is not a bad thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's not at all, you know. And and a lot of the other thing like 
I'd hate to imagine where I'd be without if we hadn't adapted and, and moved with the barbecue trend. I, I actually don't know if my shop would still be here. I don't know if I'd still be in business. That's interesting that yeah. you made that link there between uh, between adaption and uh, and survival. So we you, you mentioned at the top of the episode there COVID nineteen and the fact that the shop's been sold out and and in some ways busier than ever before. So you've obviously yeah. come up with some strategies and some techniques and different things to uh, in in response to that. So would you yes. mind sharing some of those things that you've done? Um, yeah, look, we've had to. Um, we're now constantly wearing gloves, um, which are being changed in between every customer. Um, we're constantly cleaning like all the bench tops and countertops, the, the windows, the floor. Um, we've had to set a stipulation. My shop, my shop is very small. It's only about 44 square metres. Um, and when we're, when we're fully stacked, we can fit about six or seven people in the shop, but we've had to restrict that to th- three people at a time. Um, but we've had such a constant steady stream of people with the staff that I have, there's normally four of us there. So only having three customers at a time, it's actually been good. There's always been someone cutting. We've actually been kind of keeping out a display fuller than normal um, and keeping up with the, the turnover now that we can get stock again. That was an issue three weeks ago. That was a, a, a huge issue. We couldn't get a lot of stock. Um, but yeah, and we've also gone, um, we've offering home deliveries, um, which are completely contactless if you're in isolation. They can pay over the phone with the bank card and we'll take it and drop it at their front gate and mosey on off. And, um, but also just delivering for a lot of people that don't want to be out and about. There's a lot of our clientele are elderly. Um, so they're ringing us up and we're getting their meat together and then going and grabbing a, a loaf of bread and a two-litre milk and dropping it to them after work. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've, we've just had to try and yeah, just, just move on with it and just adapt. So it, it sounds like you've, you've found a bit of a silver lining in the, in the staffing to customer ratio, but still, but so you, you've, you've managed to swing that to the shop's benefit. So rather than cut staff down, it sounds like you've, you've found other ways to employ them, which have, which have in turn added more to the business. That's right, mate. None of my boys have lost any overtime since all of this has gone on. We were um, we were quite worried when it first hit. I was um, I'd actually we'd left Penrith here at three a.m. on the on the Friday morning, and me and um, Adrian Lupino and um, James Taylor from Butterbeard Barbecue, we drove down to Melbourne for meat stock. We were all excited, getting ramped and ready for it. Oh, and no. um, we we pulled up and we unloaded, and we headed to the Q Club for a beer, and then they cancelled it. Um, which, look, we had an amazing weekend in Melbourne because we paid for our accommodation. We were there anyway. Um, but, yeah, and then on the drive back, I remember driving back from Melbourne, um, it being in touch with my boys in the shop because we came back on the Monday um, and hearing how busy they were and not kind of really understanding how much meat they were selling. And I got back to the shop and we had nothing. I had to, like, organise yeah, organised some pretty quick deliveries and, and we couldn't keep up. We were we were busier turnover-wise than we were at Christmas. The only difference is is at Christmas we've got six weeks to plan it and pre-order stuff. <laughs> no one saw this coming. It's it was it was almost like it was like World War Three in the retail environment for that first week. Um everyone just ducking for cover and trying to trying to pick up what was around them and work out what was going on. <laughs> yeah, so was that so that that stock issue that you mentioned before then, I, I take that that was a direct um uh result of the panic buying, is that right? 
Yes. So the issue was all the all the all the big wholesalers in in the like in Sydney and in Melbourne and in Brisbane. Um, all of a sudden, they'd sold like four weeks worth of meat in three days, and wow. they had no they had no stock left. So they were waiting for the distributors to send them product from all their like from the processing plants. So there was that there was that period of time where we just we couldn't get anything. I ended up um, typing up quite a quite a big in depth post actually because I'd seen in a lot of community groups. We didn't get mentioned, but I'd seen a lot of butchers getting burned. Um, people took photos of their displays because the mints had gone up in price. And it said just from, and people were making comments or we won't support them when this all goes back to normal. Um, but it was a simple, simple case of supply and demand. We ran out of the cheaper cuts to mints and we had to mince more expensive cuts. So the price had to change. Um, and it was, yeah, it was hard. People, we didn't cop it, but I've got mates that copped abuse in their stores. Um, yeah, all we're trying to do is keep our doors open and keep them being fed and keep up with the demand. But yeah, a lot of people took it as fear mongering and profiteering, I suppose. But we um we're we're not eligible for any wage subsidies because my turnover hasn't dropped, although my margins have. So we're working harder currently for slightly less margins, but that's up to me to balance out. But yeah, it's not always it's not always great, but you know, we're still making do. Mate, I'm I'm glad that you uh that you pointed that out because it it hadn't occurred to me that um that more expensive cuts would have to be used to meet the demand of for the less expensive cuts if that makes sense like like what yes, you said about yeah. using about using expensive cuts to make mints because everybody wants mints because mints is typically cheap. Um, yes, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a fascinating point and something that had never even occurred to me. Yeah, it's um and then the flow on will be interesting to see. I'd be interesting to see. Oh, I mean, it's funny. We're kind of waiting for the for the not so much the panic buying, but just the the intense buying to stop. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how the industry holds up in a few months' time when what's been produced and is due to be done for us, ready for that period of time in two or three months' time, if it will be enough or if we'll get there because of what we've overused. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. Listening to the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with massive barbecue nerd Ben Arnott. All righty, so we've well and truly established by now that you do have a strong relationship in the competitive barbecue scene there. So, yes, tell us how that um, how how that came about. I am um, the very first barbecue team that I ever really had anything to do with um, was the girls from Pits Perfect, Linda and Sam. Um, oh, I love those they, girls. Oh, mate, I have um, I've had many drunken shenanigan evenings at barbecue conflict <laughs> with them, and it's just it's always good fun. They're always good value. They're way too loud. They never turn their music down, but I love them. Um, yeah, so um, Linda came into the shop, and it was it was after I'd started the smokers group, and not even really realised about the competitive side of the ABA. Um, or any form of competitive barbecue, to be honest. It was just more just trying to get briskets in and establishing contacts to get some short ribs and what's a tomahawk, where to get a tomahawk. Do you know what I mean? It was it was all new for me. And and Linda kind of came in and and was like, hey, we want to cook barbecue and and explained it all to me. And I was like, okay, cool. And I started, I actually started, it's funny, the um the ribs that I cut, the pork ribs that I cut, uh pretty well known and 
pretty pretty well in demand. I, I constantly have to knock people back because I can't produce enough. It's just, it's hard. Like uh, the amount of wastage that's involved just to get one rack of, of comp ribs is, is astronomical. And I, I've got a terrible habit of not, not overcharging people for it. So it's not worth the time to do it. And if you were to charge and that like what it is worth, I don't think people would, would want to buy them. Um, but I, I developed this way of cutting what I call a hybrid rib, which is it's kind of taking half of, of the St. Louis and half of the baby back, but splitting them sideways. So the bones sit completely straight or as straight as possible. Um, but you eliminate having any of the loin meat left on the baby back aspect of the rib, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, purely because that the rest, that belly, that belly meat always cooks better. That loin meat always tends to dry out. So we spent, Oh, I don't know, probably three or four comps trying to work out how to cut pork ribs. And, you know, I probably gave them a whole heap of average ones in the beginning. And, but yeah, I think their very first comp, they, they won first place pork ribs at Bangalore. I'm pretty sure with Bangalore ribs, it was, um, yeah. And that was, that was kind of where it, it started from. And then, um, Back when the beard and the barbecue was the beard and the barbecue, um, Adrian came and saw me. Me and Adrian developed a, a very close friendship early on. Um, and then um, after Port Macquarie one year, I'd been up there with everybody just drinking and letting my hair down and carrying on. And and um, and me and Tony spoke and we went, all right, let's do your meat. Um, so then I started doing the meat for the beard and the barbecue. Um, I'm still doing the meat for them now known as Butterbeard. Um, Tony obviously retired. Um, and then it kind of rolled on from there. Um, I do all of rolling smokes meat except for his beef because Lucas is, Lucas is very lucky to have an amazing deal with Jack's Creek. Um, so I take care of all of his pork, lamb and chicken. Um, and then it kind of grew. I've got the boys from BBQ. Um, I've got crank it up barbecue. I've got Wizards of Q. I've got the, the Smoke and Spice Beers on Ice Guys out at Mudgee. Uh, Black Glove Barbecue. Do meat for the Sheen Shangri-La. Um, and when Hoggy Style Barbecue was still competing, I'd do meat for them. Um, we've had teams flow over from New Zealand that I've done meat for them for the Invitational. Um, I've always always got a message like a few days before a comp that I was going to or that one of my teams was going to and sent an emergency Boston butt or an extra couple of lamb racks for teams from New Zealand, uh, from Queensland, Victoria and New South Wales. Um, yeah, but 10 teams, 10 teams, are the, that's what we take care of, 10 barbecue teams. Mate, out of a out of a shop that was what forty four square meters or something you said to uh, your yeah. your uh, your your shop size to team sponsorship ratio is just off the charts. Yeah, look, normally um normally my cool room we normally buy two pigs a week. Our shop doesn't turn over a, a lot of pork, but when it's comp week and I've got to get three to four racks of ribs for each of these lovely teams of mine, I am um, I go from getting two pigs to getting two pigs and an extra like 20 barrels. Um, yeah. My pork consumption goes up like, I don't know. I'd hate to see, I'd hate to see it, but it's, it's all worth it. It's all, it's all definitely worth it. I love it. Yeah. Now yeah. You, you, you mentioned Roland Smoke there and um, Lucas is a longtime friend of, of Smoke and Confessions as well. And he yes. raves about the lamb that he gets from you. What, what, what lamb do you get in there? Do you know what, mate? I'll uh, I'll let you in on a little secret. There's a there's always a lot of talk 
about about lamb and a lot of people um like they want sovereign or they want um lamb of tassie um because there is a couple of branded lamb producers that do box box lamb um all my lamb is just it's fresh lamb that's um that's processed at the ryan abattoirs which i think is in victoria in the middle of nowhere could be wrong could be new south wales i'd actually have to check um and it's just local pasture-raised lamb that's sourced from multiple different farms it's never from the same place it's just always consistent wow that's interesting yeah, yeah. It's funny, like I'm I'm such a big brand advocate for Bangalore. I'm such a big brand advocate for, for companies like Rangers Valley and Jack's Creek and um there's there's so many of them. Um like but lamb uh, I, I don't know. We've had a lot of success. Um the bit in the barbecue at Paul Macquarie got um got the first perfect lamb score, three hundred and sixty points, with just our not not backyard lamb, but it kind of is. It's just like, yeah. It's not no name, it's not black and gold, but it's, <laughs> it's not branded. Do you know what I mean? And it's, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. consistent and it's it's amazing lamb. I have actually noticed that before, that there doesn't seem to be quite as strong branding uh, when it comes to lamb as there is with, say, pork or especially with beef. Um, no. Is that just a matter of time, do you think, until like until lamb farmers sort of realise the power of branding? Um, that's, that's an interesting one. Um, I do believe like certain breeds of lamb um i'm a big fan of torpers um i like i'm a I, I do believe certain breeds are definitely better but it would be hard i think to see i don't know uh, it, it, that would be interesting to see ben i'm not i'm not sure i think there's a lot of there's an avenue for for someone to come in and kind of take the market uh, in terms of a company such as uh sun pork or but like in a lamb world i think there definitely is but yeah i'm not sure of any yeah, it'd be interesting to find someone who's got some uh, like some some really good lamb and then put together a strong branding package and just sort of corner that corner that lamb market market that and push it out. Yeah, that would be yeah, that would fascinating be fascinating stuff. Now your your connection to these competition teams that has actually taken you to the competition that everyone wants to get to, hasn't it? Yes, it has, mate. Yes, it uh, it definitely it definitely has. So, uh, 2018, the bid and the barbecue GC, the Burley Barbecue Conf, um, which gained them an entry to last year's Royal. We went to, we, uh, it was actually, it was probably the best three weeks of my life, mate. Oh yeah. We, uh, we flew over. I did my, my birthday in Vegas. Oh, um, nice. And then actually three of us, three out of the four of us had birthdays while we were there. Um, yeah, um, but no, we yeah, the Royal Mate, it was that was such an experience. We stayed probably about ten minutes away. Um, you could see the stadium from where our little um motel was and mate, just the people, the setups. Um, American barbecue is definitely alive and well, mate. They are you look at some of the huge setups that we have over here which which are incredible. And then you go over there and it was it's just another world. Just yeah. another world. Um, but the people were amazing, mate. They were so welcoming. They heard, they wanted to come and see. We flew, we flew Rangers Valley WX9 um, first cross briskets. We flew four briskets over um, for the comps. So we, um, they, and we had Americans that wanted to come up and look at our briskets. They heard that the wow. Aussies had their briskets here. It was, it was cool. It was just, it was different. And we had great neighbours. We had smoke face grillers on one side of us. Oh, um, fantastic. We had, we had the Heat Beats All Stars on the other side of us. Um, Beautiful. I think, 
Um, Jared McDonald was with Smokeface. It was, um, mate, it was just, yeah, it was, it was a cool four days, three or four days that we were there. And yeah, just the back-to-back comp scenario was, was interesting. It's something I'd really like to see in Australia. I think actually having like a double header over a weekend would be, that would be really cool. Um, and I mean, we, it's funny, you know, we had the time of our lives. The, um, we had, the boys had some good results. Um, 39th brisket. Um, in the open, which I think there was, I think there was 400 and something teams. Um, and then, oh God, don't quote me on it. I think 22nd in pork. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, we mid packed by the, by the, the end result of it, but yeah, it was such a, it was such an amazing experience. It was, um, it was cool to see just like the, the, the results change from us changing our flavor profiles from the first day to the second, like on the, on the invitational day, we just used all of our standard profiles, um, that we use here and they definitely, that's not what the judges want there. So that was, that was a, that was, that was a cool um, perspective to get. And then we mixed it up and changed stuff a bit and had better results the next day. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see if we could ever go again. I, uh, I had planned to spend my uh, my thirtieth in Vegas this year, and then tie that into the World Butchers Challenge at the um, in Sacramento at the end of August, birthday in September, and then do the Royal again. But oh, what unfortunately, a oh mate, I was uh, yeah, <laughs> I've been so excited, but we've um we've had to cancel it. It's yeah, I good old I COVID, hear, but I had to I had to cancel my trip as well. Yeah, isn't it? It's just a. Uh, such an odd time to be alive at the moment. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. But but as we said, we are finding new uh, evolutionary or the, the workplaces are evolving. So yes, it's, yeah. it's quite fascinating. Interesting times. Um, so were you going to actually be competing in the World Butchers Championships there? Oh, no, 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 definitely not. I would, uh, mate, that would be an honour. That's, um, don't get me wrong, um, like, Butcher Wars at Meatstock is is cool and it's one thing, but the World Butcher's Challenge is just, yeah, it's a whole nother level. Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. Alrighty, so let's get into the uh, the uh, the lesson for today for the uh, the advice that you're going to share. Now, as a butcher yourself, you're going to uh, round out this episode with some advice for approaching, building relationship with, and negotiating sponsorship with a butcher. Now, for the listeners out there, this is the barbecue equivalent of that Mel Gibson film, What Women Want. <laughs> we are going <laughs> to. Do you like that? Mate, I've been known as a sausage whisperer before, but I just, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, so kick it off for us, man. How do we, uh, how do we approach a butcher that we want to work with? Look, the biggest, um, the biggest advice I can give to anybody out there, whether you've, whether you're considering competing or you've competed ten times and you just, you, you might be at a bit of a brick wall. Some butchers, some butchers aren't into it and they don't want to do it. Um, uh, all the teams that I sponsor and take care of, um, apart from Linda coming in and just speaking to me about it, um, none of these teams have approached me directly. It's It's been me approaching them. Um, and that's because they've established a relationship with me. They shop with me. I don't expect any of my teams to be able to buy all their meat off us. It's not feasible. Like where um, we sell a lot of high-end product and, and there is cheaper options out there and everyone lives on a budget. But 
all I could suggest is don't walk into a butcher shop and hit him up for a cheap brisket, but then get upset because he said, no, buy six sausages, half a kilo of mince and two chicken breasts and go back in a fortnight and do it again and have it, say good day and have a chat and talk to them. They might not even know about the smoking world. Speak to them, see if they can source you a brisket, explain to them that you want grain fed because you want it a bit bigger or, um, you know, work with them. A lot of butchers don't know about all these American style cuts. It's not something we're taught. So if you can establish that relationship with them, that's probably your best avenue. Um, I, I don't, I don't make any real form of profit off, off my teams, but yeah. They're, they're mates. It's it's more than that. It's not just a business decision for me. But you've got to understand that not every other butcher is doing it from that avenue. So if you can provide some form of value for them, whether it's um, offering that offering to do a masterclass or turn up on a Saturday morning and show them how to cook chicken wings on a Weber, you provide some time, donate some time. You don't have to donate anything else, and then give them something to work with, and they'll be much more inclined to work back with you. So the building a relationship phase then is sort of the, the, the repeat clientele first of all, and then, yeah. and then start offering something before you start asking for something. That's right. Or just, or just discuss with them and say, Hey, this is, this is where I'd like to go down. This is the avenue I'd like to go down. Would you be interested if we could provide it something that would be mutual, mutually beneficial? The issue that I have is most, most people, I, I just get a random poorly worded message from someone I've never met before saying, <laughs> Hey, we're doing competitive barbecue. Can you sponsor us? Um, and that's an instant no for me because I don't know you. Do, you. do you know what I mean? It's it's it almost comes across not as rude, but they're wanting something for nothing, and they're a stranger. So it instantly puts you offside. Yeah. Whereas if if there's someone, if they you know you start recognizing and butchers, we remember our regulars, we remember your faces, we we know who you are, and and it's something that we we kind of thrive off having that relationship as well. It's 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 nice for us to break the mundaneness of. Hi, how you going? Hi, how you going? To Ben, g'day, mate. How you going? What are you cooking this weekend? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's that's where it is. I think that's that's that relationship. Now, something I used to do was I would actually uh, like get something from them, cook it uh, over the weekend, and then bring them a little of it in on Monday to try. Is that? Is yes. that overstepping yeah. the bounds or is no, that? No, mate, I don't think so. Not at all. And even just saying to them, hey, do you guys, do you, have a, do you have a Facebook page? Would you mind if I shared some photos? Do you want me to send it to your page so you can share it? You can, you can give them value in content on social media that costs you nothing more than obviously buying the food, but you've eaten that. So you pass on those photos and that's going to give them some content to share and drum up extra business. And then when they hear, they see people coming in off the back of some posts, it all, it all greases the wheel in motion. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Fantastic. And very nicely worded there as well. So (laughs) without naming names then, tell me about the worst approach that you've had. Um, it was, it was, it was a, um, it, it was the one I just gave. It was a, a really horribly written one from somebody who'd never done a barbecue comp and they were, they were asking a me for sponsorship. first time team too. Uh, it wasn't even a first time team. It was a, it was someone who hadn't created a team. Um, and he was also asking me what kind of smoker I'd suggest him buy for his first smoker. So he didn't <laughs> even have a smoker. <laughs> um, and I just really politely was like, oh, look, mate, maybe, um, maybe we can talk in a few months time once you've, once you've cooked some things and maybe gotten to a barbecue comp and seen that 
there's a lot of work involved. These these comp guys take it seriously, and there's a lot of a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and a lot of money. Even with a lot of my teams, even with sponsorship, um, they're still spending twelve hundred dollars on a comp. Oh, easily, easily, and. And that's the thing that a lot of people don't realise. And you're spending 1200 bucks on each comp if you're lucky with sponsorship. Have you spent $5,000 on Canberra's, marquees, tables, storage units? Do you know what I mean? Like it's a big investment. And I don't think a lot of people really realise that. No, and it adds up quick. Oh, definitely, definitely. Poor old credit card cops it. Oh, oh, so, <laughs> so bad, so bad. So then what's the best approach that you've had then? Um, or the probably or the best pitch, the best pitch. Probably Linda. I'll give her. I'll give her credit that. Give her credit there. Um, yeah, probably Linda. Just coming in and just being honest and saying, "Hey, this is something we'd really like to do." And they live. They live about 15, 20 minutes from my shop, so they'd already. I believe they'd already approached their local butchers, tried to do the right thing with their local people that just weren't interested. And then I believe Linda may have joined the smokers group and seen what we were starting to build. Um, and it was, yeah, it was just her honesty. She just came in and said, this is what we really want to do. We've already bought all this stuff. Um, and I said to them, I'll do you meet at cost, um, for social media exposure. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's a pretty good deal. And that's what I do for most of my teams, but I really wouldn't suggest that people think that that's what they're going to get when they approach butchers because it's doing meat at cost price isn't really cost. It still costs us with our time and effort. And yeah, it's, um, it's, yeah, like I said, it's something that I do because it's, it's a friendship thing, but yeah, just be open and honest in your pitch and and just explain to them what you want and just, or just say to them, they might, I'm I'm not sure. You could even suggest saying, Hey, what if we get all our meat off you for two or three comps and pay full price. And if we do any well, and we can bring in some trophies and get some photos and, you know, back to that content thing on social media, it's it's not going to pay their bills, but exposure helps. Now, you talked about um, about bringing in photos and trophies and things. I understand you've got yes. quite the wall of trophies in your shop now. Um, we've had we've had oh, I wouldn't say hundreds. We've had we we must have had probably seventy maybe 80 trophies worth through the teams. I'd actually have to do the numbers. It's something I want to do purely, purely just to see where we're at. Um, but no, it's uh, it's only a small shelf. So as the teams bring them in, I've got to send them home with their old ones. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a rotating system. Um, I actually am planning on building a, building a bit of a shelf and a bit of a display thing, but it'll still fill up too quick. That's the, um, that's the hard part. So. Sounds like you need a pool room, mate. Oh, that's right. Send I just need a bigger butcher shop. Room. Yeah. Just need a bigger butcher shop with a trophy room. <laughs> well, it, it, it certainly sounds like you're well on your way. Oh, look, we're, um, it's funny, you know, we're actually at a point where we've, we've kind of maximised what we're doing where we are. And um, as I said earlier, we're looking at that, that next five-year lease um, option and, and we're kind of looking at our future and where we'll be in five years. And I don't know, I, uh, I, I hope I'm still trading, but I don't think we'll be where we are. I think we'll end up relocating somewhere where we've got more space and size and, and the facility to do, to do a lot more, not just our butchery stuff. I'd love to, we sell GMGs and Hark products. I just don't have display space for them. Um, I'd love to have a, a display range of that and, and go nuts with the rubs and sauces more so than we already have. Um, but also uh, maybe not on the same scale as Black Bear, but look at putting in a small kitchen. And just diversifying and just, you know, giving options. That's that's kind of where I want to be. 
Yeah, that sounds very nice. There's a butcher local to me up here on the – well, sorry, there was a butcher local to me up here on the Gold Coast. And yep. in, his, in his shop there, it was kind of a U-shaped shop uh, in a, in a yeah. mall. And one side of the U-shape um, was a like a sausage bar type thing. And oh, they, cool. would, th- they would cook these gourmet sausages and then you know, chop them up or put them in a bun and you could have sauerkraut on it. So it was... Wow. Yeah, yeah see, was, that's cool. It, and it's it's a, it's a different option. It's it's not what it's not what every food court's got to offer. It's something different. So exactly, cool. yeah. <laughs> and then on the other side of the U, on the other side of the shop, they had a fully glassed in um, uh, with conveyor belts run through the ceiling um, of uh, I don't know the proper word for it, but like you hang a carcass on a hook and then it comes out on the on this conveyor on the rails. Belt. And it was yeah, a, yeah. Um, and th- this guy would just grab his knife and he'd break down the animal in front of everybody in this big glass box right out the front That's of the cool. shop. And it, it, it really put like spectacle and show into what they were doing. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's amazing. <laughs> that's it, was, cool. it was really cool stuff. Really cool. Alrighty. So that's probably a good point now where we can start to, uh, to wrap things up. Um, thank you so much for coming along. I'm going to th- open up the the, uh, the microphones to you now. Let's close it out. Give some thanks. Give some shout outs to whoever you'd like to, and tell everybody yep. where they can track you down on the socials. No worries. Um, look, Ben. Thank you first to you for having me, mate. It, it's been a pleasure. I've been I've been listening to the podcast for a while, and yeah, it's it's been a pleasure. Um, I the, the first thanks has got to be to my crew, my staff, um, Maddie, Jacob, Josh, and Ashton. Uh, we couldn't do, I couldn't, I couldn't get out to the events and do what I get to do and have the enjoyable fun time that I have without them being there. They're the real backbone of the shop. I just talk all day and fluff about, um, <laughs> there without them there, I, I can't be me. So a big thank you to them. Um, my, my smokers group, the people in East Blackstone smokers, um, all the barbecue teams I, I, I sponsor. Um, and then the, the main people I'd really like to give thanks to would be, Wes from Bovine and Swine. It's one of the first people that, that really got me into barbecue. Adrian from Butterbeard. Um, he was one of the very early friends. Um, Dan Watt from Country Boys. Lucas and Shane from Roll and Smoke. And probably one of my most favourite humans in the barbecue world is Dion Allen from Smoking Hot and Saucy. They're probably six of the people I respect the most in the barbecue community. So, yeah. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. And so where can we track you down on the social media? Socials, so East Blackstone Butchery on Facebook um, and also on Instagram. Um, we've got our smokers group, East Blackstone, East Blackstone Smokers on, on Facebook as well. Fantastic, so that's, uh, that's us. Absolutely fantastic, man. I love it. So, alrighty, uh, I'm just going to say one more time, thanks very much for coming on the show and best of luck for the rest of 2020 and beyond. And I really hope you do get to make that birthday trip through uh, through, yeah. <laughs> through Las Vegas and the, and the butchery championships and then the Royal. That would just be absolute dream trip. Oh, mate, that would make my year. That would make it. <laughs> And there you have it, family. That was Scott Evans from East Blacksland Butchery. So we chatted about the shop, the range of products. We chatted about his involvement in the competition barbecue scene. And as I did say, we've got the uh, the butcher, the barbecue equivalent of what women want in that last little section there. 
giving some killer advice for working with butchers. So huge thanks and respect go out to Scott for taking the time to come and chat with us. And it is really interesting as as barbecuers to actually speak to someone who's on the other side of the counter, quite quite literally on the other side of the meat counter, and get that get that perspective on it. Um, I am booked down to go to Kangaroo Valley in September this year. Fingers crossed, touch wood. And um, I'm really hoping I can uh, duck through the shop on the way out there and pick up some things to uh, to cook up and eat while I'm down there at the festival. And uh, I guess that's it for today's show then. So if you have enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and share it on the socials for me. And wherever you listen to this episode, there will be a share function in your app. So click or tap on that, follow the instructions and let your friends know what you liked about the episode and while they'll like it too. So until next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions.